This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Insights to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. If you're anything like me, you wonder often, how do we as a company perform more consistently and keep our sales numbers growing? How do we get our bottom performers to do better so we can bring up the overall company accomplishment? To answer those questions, David Bonney. David, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. Great to be here. Hey, so those are um, those are hard questions that executives uh, worry about. Uh, my first question is, you know, we're talking about how do we bring up, uh, you know, the overall company numbers. Um, and one of the answers seems to be, well, if we get our bottom performers come up, then the numbers will come up. I mean, you know, we talk about the 80-20 rule. Is it really possible to get those bottom people to come up? Uh, I mean, is it worth it to get the bottom people to come up? Or should we be looking at a different segment of our sellers? Yeah, it's it's, it's a great question. So the way that we've the way that I've typically learned uh, in my uh, long career of sales leadership, revenue leadership, and then um, consulting over the years is uh, the, the the best performing organizations are the organizations that can raise the floor. How do we get our worst performers performing at the highest level possible? Um, and uh, as we raise the floor, we raise our mid-level group. And obviously, we still have our rabbits or our eagles that are setting the setting the pace now the key is your question, right? Well, how do we actually get those bottom performers performing? Um, well, the school of thought now is you know, bring them in. You find out as soon as they're not performing. You put them on a pip. They don't get results. You cut them loose, and then you go find the next crop, and you just kind of churn through that bottom 20 30%. Well, that's extremely expensive, and you're churning through a lot of leads. So what our perspective is, what if we can eliminate failure? We can eliminate failure at that bottom rung and push everybody else up. That is the secret to ultimately having the highest performing, uh, uh, the highest performing sales organization or department. You know, I I kind of uh, the way I've kind of always done it. I hire a class of salespeople, mm-hmm. and you know maybe you hire four, five, or ten uh, with the expectation of keeping three at the end of a, a month or two. And mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's old school, you know, maybe it's possible to put a little more, uh, give a little TLC to the people at the bottom. I don't know. Is is that, I mean, is does it work? Yeah. Well, so the, the, the key to actually creating more predictable sales performance out of our sales reps comes down to us changing how we're focused in our sales organization. And what we've concluded uh, over the last five years of deep, deep research, but you know, the, the last 15 years I've been in sales and revenue is sales rep failure at the highest level is really being driven by small failures by sales reps. And what I mean by that is sales reps are not doing a good job. They're failing at unpacking and gathering the right information in the sales conversation. So in our exhaustive audits and, you know, getting deep down and listening to calls, we see it all the time. There's at least two of the five criteria that's being missed on nearly every sales call that we listen to. And the criteria that I'm talking about here is, are they identifying the right decision makers? They're not doing that. They're not talking to the right people. They're not gathering the right information and things stall. Um, are they getting to, to a clear level of pain that dictates urgency and the priority the organization should be making this? 
that's usually where all the vast majority of sales reps fall down. Um, are they diagnosing the problem that's actually going on and getting the prospect to think different about what it is that they're experiencing, like challenger sale and problem reframes? Um, are they calculating ROI to desensitize price or are they um, uh, uh, quantifying any expected outcome that they can uh, bump up against budget? That rarely ever happens. Um, and are they gauging the company's ability, if this problem does need to get solved, are they gauging the company's ability to be able to solve it on their own without outside help? That is rarely ever happening. So it's these small failures in the sales conversation that are being ha that are happening uh, repeatedly by your bottom performers that are really creating the large failure and the lack of their success. Then if we can solve those, and if we can get our bottom performers gathering that information, bringing it all together in a clear and decisive way, um, we'll find that more prospects will convert and move forward with them similar to, to our top performers. You know, all of those uh, things, those are all kind of skills that, that someone could learn. Uh, and you could teach people how to do that better. I kind of uh, ask the earlier stage question of what personality is suited for sales? I mean, are, are mm. there certain people? The word sales by itself is very off-putting to a large number of people. What yeah. if we could tell people, marketing type people, friendly people, outgoing people, that uh, they're not selling, they're mm -hmm. helping. <laughs> or, 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 yeah. or, or they're doing something other than selling. Um, right. You know, I mean, what if we could we could turn the dial just a little bit so that they don't think of it as selling? Because selling is sort of equated with pushing yeah. instead of I, I kind of think of selling more as pulling myself. Yeah. But I mean, I wonder if we could turn the dial on that psychology a little bit and then mm -hmm. teach them the things that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I emphatically agree with that. And it's one of the reasons why the uh, our, our latest book is called Buyer-Centric Selling. And what buyer-centric selling is aimed to do is it's, it's meant to turn that dial and say, is our company and the stuff that we sell the star of the show? And we're just out there saying, thanks, Joel. Thanks for joining this call. Thanks for spending time with me today so I can pitch you my stuff. <laughs> or... Are we coming at it from more of a uh, a buyer-centric approach? Are they the star of the show? Are we more like doctors, where it's really our job to come in and facilitate a process that helps the buyer ultimately take the action that they need to? Um, the key insight that we had on this is, uh, I believe it was Gartner. Gartner did a study, and they I'm sure you've heard this stat. They say about 57% of the sales process is complete before a prospect uh, ever schedules a call with a salesperson. Right. That's not their first. That's not their first thought. Oh, I need something. How do I get somebody that's going to try to push me into spending money? <laughs> oh, we go to Google, we research, we download things, we watch videos, right? We go to YouTube. So they're already through the process. And we call that buyer's intent. The buyer's intent is I've spent my time and energy researching this, and I'm now on a call with you. And that already says I have a problem that's big enough that I need a solution. And that problem is causing enough pain. And I don't know if I can solve it on my own to get to the outcomes that I want. So they've already shown that intent. So the work that we're doing to actually manipulate them and persuade them and all the selling tactics that you were alluding to, it's actually working against the very intention that we see 
buyers are coming into the process with. We just have to facilitate a clear process for them. And more often than not, they want to take that action that we want them to. And if we can be the ones to provide that clarity for them and that journey um, uh, better than the competition, they will choose us over the competition uh, the vast, vast majority of the time. You know, I wonder I wonder when some of those old school techniques are going to die because mm-hmm. in the 70s, 80s, 90s, I mean, the internet didn't exist in those times. And now people have this tool that that, that gets them 57% ready to uh, to move forward. Yep. One of the things that, that strikes me uh, listening to you is that not only do they uh, understand the problem, but they they recognize the, the severity of the problem enough to take some limited action to even get the process moving. That's and that's right. uh, very dramatic. So, you know, right. but one of the things that, um, you know, you're talking about pitching versus educating, it takes a lot more skill, self-discipline, patience to educate and kind of help a customer through a process than it does just to pitch them and just memorize the the the, the material and shoot it at them. So yeah. it's really a much higher level kind of thing. And not everybody has the uh, the wherewithal to be in that position, which I think is really a, a much a much stronger uh, position. Yeah, well, and what we've actually found, though, Joel, because I agree with you, and I and what what that ultimately does, though, is that 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 creates an unsolvable situation for certain personality types. And what we've wanted to do is we've wanted to, as with all the companies that we work with, we want to say, how do we actually go solve that problem? Um, because we clearly haven't solved the problem of how do we hire the right people. The best answer is go hire 10 and allow the two to three to, to bubble up, right? Well, if we can't go through that approach, if we have people on, how do we keep them on? If we hire people, how do we hire more effectively? This is what we call, uh, this is where we enter into the world of, of sales playbooks. There should be a series of questions that we need to ask, just, just like a doctor does in the process of uh in the in the patient experience if the um uh if a doctor comes in and is willy-nilly about the process they're not going to be able to get to the right diagnosis they're not going to be able to explain their treatment to us in a way that makes sense well if we can create a playbook which is not a script but it's also not a free-for-all conversation that could go anywhere creating a very high likelihood that we don't capture the right information from the prospect if that happens then we're in a position where um, uh, we can get the vast majority of our salespeople executing playbooks that give them the structure that they need to be able to unpack that information very consistently in a way that makes sense to the prospect. You know, I, I know you come from more of a direct marketing background, you know, internet marketing, this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. uh, that that certainly colors the way you think about uh, things. What's your opinion about uh, some old school techniques like cold calling? Does cold calling work or is that just something that just needs to be uh, bury the hatchet on that deal and put it aside? Yeah, no, cold, cold calling works. Uh, we, we have several several uh, clients uh, that still leverage cold calling and get great results from it. Um, that's obviously more from an SDR perspective. Which is, what does that mean? What, what, what's the sales, SDR? Oh, sorry, sales development rep. That's that. Oh. We're, we're coming through. We've got technology. We're making 200, 250 dials a day. Uh, and then we're playing the numbers game all the way down through for contacts, effective contacts, scheduled calls. Um, that absolutely so, does so work. That, now, what, what we really need to do is we kind of need to break. There's certain certain things cold calling works, certain things higher level techniques work for. So 
mm-hmm. if we if we're going to bifurcate or or even you know break right. it into more pieces than two, what what segment are we talking about where this buyer centric thing works? Is it every single process, or is it certain processes work better for that than others? Yeah, it's the way we look at it. It's every single process. So just like in marketing, I have to speak to your pains and what you're going through. From an SDR perspective, if I'm doing outbound dialing, I better have an effective way to speak to your pains and what you're going through if you're going to give me your time and attention. So we need to understand that. And the most effective SDR scripts, if you will, because you can use a script there, really leverage that. Now, you've really touched on a big point. It's very uh, um, it can be very powerful to bifurcate those two strategies. To have your SDRs doing the outbound calling, lower lower comp plan, more consistently, more fo- uh, more focus um, from that consistency, and then allow your uh, executive salespeople, your sales reps, to handle the meetings that are being scheduled, your hotter leads. So you're not spending a lot of money having your salespeople do 40 or 50 dials a day. Um, that may or may not be the most effective use of their time, and you end up having you know bloated bandwidth. So one crew is doing lead gen, another mm-hmm. crew is doing you know higher level sales closing advisory, yep. whatever whatever the different uh, techniques are that are being used, right? Yep, yep, that's right, absolutely. And then you also create a feeder from your SDR team or from your lead gen team into your sales team as well, uh, which is great because you can you can evaluate cultural aspects, um, core value alignment, personality type as an SDR that will translate over into that sales rep, uh, the, the, the sales rep role more effectively after you've seen them perform in their in your company for six months, six to 12 months. So, so one way is lead generation where you call people and you get them to say, I'm interested to hear more about this. But then there's the whole internet marketing mechanism. And you know, one of the things that I've always done, um, 20, 25 years ago, I stopped making cold calls. I just mm-hmm. I just stopped because I kind of saw the beauty of how internet marketing works. And I, I developed this approach. I, I call it raise your hand. That I won't talk to anybody who doesn't raise their hand. And and I kind of think as uh, think of selling as like playing playing catch, volleyball, you know, baseball, throw it back and forth. I throw you the ball. If yeah. you drop the ball and throw it on the floor and you don't throw it back, it's over. There's no reason to keep calling that person, right? I mean, I I would imagine you feel the same, right? If they throw it back to you and then you're going, yeah, now this person wants to play ball Mm -hmm. and we can have a discussion and no guarantee it's going to close, but at least it's an interested person. And so uh, I I use, uh, you know, one of these uh, Calendly type links, you know, that they, listen, if you want to talk to me, if you've got some problem that you think I can help you with, Here's the link. Get on my calendar. That's right. It's not a pushy approach, but right. it does, uh, you know, tell me that the person has self-identified. They're one of that fifty-seven percent or whatever yep. the number is that yep. is self-identified as having a problem that they think that I can address. And if I've done a good job of helping them understand the problem, there they are. I mean, so okay. where does that fit into the whole, you know, realm of things? Yeah. Great question. I mean, that that is absolutely, especially the world that I came from, um, inbound marketing is, I mean, that's a big deal. You want to put agitation out into the market, into the digital world, uh, and you want to be able to create the opportunity for people to self-identify um, as long as you've got good messaging to self-identify and continue down the process. Um, the problem typically that happens with that is, at least in today's world, what I see is that is the primary approach. Uh, companies that move into cold calling uh, and other cold methods 
they've they've capped out on that. They can't really quite get uh, their uh, their uh, AdWords to work as well anymore. Obviously, Facebook is having a ton of issues ever since retargeting uh, got taken away by Apple. Um, but as those digital methods, you know, they're not they're not infinite in scale. As those start to hit a cap, and companies need to continue to increase their lead generation to scale uh, their overall sales numbers and revenue, um, they'll get into the cold uh, cold calling side of it. But um, the great thing about inbound is those leads that are that are already showing that intent and they are scheduling with us. We want to continue that, right? We want to continue that process, and that's one of the that's one of the uh, uh, the major points of continuity that we feel get, gets missed. Um, if I could give you guys, uh, uh, if I could get everybody listening to this, uh, one of the simplest opportunities to be able to improve sales calls with inbound leads is that first question. After you come in, build some light rapport and set the agenda for how the call is going to go. You want to come in and you want to ask Joel, when people typically uh, uh, schedule time on my calendar, there's either a problem they're trying to solve or a goal they're trying to achieve. Which is it for you? You're not evaluating solutions if you don't have a problem or you don't have a goal that you're trying to achieve. And let's create that continuity. And they're going to go right into it. There won't be random questions that start to confuse the prospect in their journey of trying to get to the other side of what they're trying to achieve. You started off there. That's a great way to kick off any sales call within a playbook that doesn't sound scripted, but also sets the right tone and puts your sales reps in a position to win the call right from the start. No, it's awesome because, uh, you know, I mean, I'll, 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 after a little bit of small talk, okay, look, so you put this appointment on my calendar, you know, what can I do for you? And they just, they just lay it out. You know, here, here's what I've been, I've been trying this uh, for a while. It's not working. And, you know, can you give me a better way to make it happen and or whatever Mm -hmm. it is? And and they just they just do it. So I would imagine uh, life is not black or white. Life is not 100 percent of this or that. So how are companies blending these approaches of being buyer centric with direct outbound and being buyer centric with uh, some kind of uh, inbound? I mean, how are they merging uh, some kind of an approach? What are you noticing? Yeah, so it's really all the same. And that's actually one of the great benefits of our approach. So what we teach our clients to do is you've got to create a sales playbook. And again, a playbook is we've got eight eight standard questions with probing in between. It's not a script, but they're also not out there playing open gym, uh, you know, uh, or pick up basketball. Um, there's a play that they're running and they can read the defense and they can do certain things within that uh, to score, to score, uh, uh, to put points on the board. But the key is how do we get um, the right amount of information unpacked? And then how do we capture it? So we have sales playbooks, and then we install those in a technology that we have, which is guided selling technology that allows us to that allows our salespeople to capture that information consistently and then display it to the prospect in a way where they can create uh, uh, um, where they can get clear on what their action plan is or what their story or narrative is so that they can take action. Now, the blending of the two uh the outreach and the inbound really gets powerful because as we start asking that initial question up front, let's say a client has five to 10 reps and they're doing 40 to 50 of these uh, sales calls a month. Well, after one month, you can very easily get two to 500 calls where you have documented what are the problems that they're trying to solve and what are the goals that they're trying to achieve? Well, what's the best thing for you to use in your outbound? Your outbound call should be speaking to the problems and goals that 
your prospect that your market are trying to achieve. And you can now blend that data and they can inform one another. So you actually get more targeted. A lot of companies don't know their prospect very well or they don't know the language to articulate it in a way that's clear for them. This this accomplishes both and allows for the the continuity of that experience to be seamless. Yeah, that's um things have really gotten more sophisticated over the last 30 years. And 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 I, I would uh tell our audience that if you're using some of these old school approaches, uh you need to really rethink your approaches, you know, yeah. because it it may seem well playbook. Yeah, we call this something else before. You, what you're talking about is not just a little a little nuance. You know, you're okay. talking about something that really is material, really okay. using data, using survey information, using material. To frame the questions based on what you're learning, uh, you know, from your mass approach. And that's that's a very, very big thing. And that's, uh, I would imagine a lot of companies are still shooting in the dark. They're really not using all right. the data and information that they have available to them. That's right. Yeah. Well, and the big problem is they're not, they're not, they're not capturing it uh, because they're capturing a ton of data in their marketing automation software system or their CRM. And then there's a black hole when it comes to the sales conversation. They don't know what has transpired there. They don't actually know what's happening easily on those calls at a mass level, unless they're taking a full week and listening to nothing but call reviews, which nobody can afford to do. What what this makes me think is, uh, you know, listening to a customer and having earplugs in your ears. That's right. <laughs> just like it doesn't matter what you say because I'm not going to listen and, and and change anything that I do, no matter what you that's say. Right. And, that's right. And that is just not that. Certainly, that's certainly not buyer centric. I mean, of all the things, uh, you know, if you're not paying attention to what people say, if you're not taking their feedback into account, mm-hmm. uh, and by the way, if you're not taking your employees' feedback into account, if you're not taking yeah. your buyers' feedback, uh, you know, and all the other people who are in your ecosystem, if you're not taking that into account. Uh, then you really, uh, you know, are not growing in the right direction as a company, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and you know, it's when you talk about the sophistication of this, I, I can't harp on this enough. The, the days of listening for the next sales trick or the next sales tip, here's what you do on this objection. Those days are over. If that's what you're leaning towards, if that's what you're listening to, you're you're the old school sales team and you're out there just winging it and you're looking for these little tips and tricks when there's a fundamental um a, a shift that is starting to already happen in the sales world and in the buyer's journey and our buyers are demanding it uh, i think they said uh um is it something like 68% of people w- wish they didn't even have to deal with a sales rep uh i think that was from linkedin's latest study i mean that's a big deal they don't want to talk to salespeople. Well, why? Because we're not providing them the value that they're looking for in their process of already trying to solve their problems. So the ability to be able to capture this kind of intangible data, like we were just talking about, is great. But when we can leverage guided selling technology, some of the other data that we can start to capture is mind-boggling. If we can go through and say, okay, Joel, what's the problem that you're trying to solve or goal you're trying to achieve? And we can unpack that information. It's very easy for me to ask you, okay, Joel, well, let's talk about decision makers. Who's responsible for that goal or, or solving that problem? Who has the authority to make the decision on that? How do you guys buy? How many decision makers are involved in this process? Well, guess what? Guided selling technology allows your sales team to start to input that information because that's necessary for, for them to close the deal. And we can actually start to bubble up information like, 
on average, how many decision makers need to be involved? For your lowest so, performing so let me, let me, sales reps, me, on average, how often are they not getting the decision makers on the call? And that's what's torpedoing them at the end. So let me right? let me uh, let me ask you something. So I, I yeah. love this concept of guided uh, selling technology. I mean that's, yeah. I mean that that's a great new buzzword that uh, you know is probably going to take over the place and it's going to be a yeah. thing. You know, here coming up uh, pretty quick, I imagine. That's right. Um, a lot of the executives who listen to our show from these middle sized companies are larger middle size. Some are smaller middle size. What does it cost to install this kind of technology? Is it AI driven? Is it research based? I mean, where you know, what does it really take to to implement these kinds of solutions so that companies can really put some thought into it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the good the good thing about it is that. Um the process of figuring out what any company's playbook should be, it's actually staring them right in the face. So what our company does, we will go through and we'll audit the best uh, calls from your best reps and your worst reps. And that's how we figure out the difference. If you can figure out what your best reps are doing and start to codify that into a playbook and then put that playbook in technology in a way where they can now uh, um, get their entire team implementing that, or at least their bottom performers implementing that. Now, suddenly you are clearly on the path of being able to do exactly what you just talked about. Now, the cost on that is very low because we're leveraging your own data. This isn't some sophisticated machine learning thing. Every organization is different. Now, there are some best practices out there, but we found it's a lot better to identify what are your top people doing because everybody else on the team will then buy into that process a lot more and they'll have a lot more confidence in it than some random person coming in or some random data uh, being put up on a slide deck. So leveraging that uh, that uh, intelligence that's already inside your company and then codifying it into playbooks is actually, it's a very inexpensive process to go through. And the continuity on that uh, in terms of um, uh, ongoing costs, it's very low as well in comparison to what typical ongoing sales training would be. Because if you wanted, you know, if somebody wanted to bring Joel in and you were going to train their team every week for a year, how much would how much would you be charging? I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars, right? By putting this in technology and creating a more scalable uh, um, coaching platform, any sales trainer like us, our our sales training methodology can scale a lot more, and we can pass those cost benefits over to our clients to make sure that all salespeople are getting the support that they absolutely need, instead of charging these companies a ridiculous premium to be able to uh, get access to it. Well, what, what I like about that and what I believe in about that is that it's because it's a technology solution, you've got a larger upfront cost, but mm -hmm. a smaller residual cost. That's so right. in the long run, it costs you less and, right. and you end up owning something that works for you for a long time. And right. that's, uh, you know, so if you just do training, training, listen, training is very important and I believe in training, but you know, you're constantly doing training where as opposed to you're talking about gathering data that they're training from. They have to yeah. learn what the data is. And by the way, then I imagine that that's changing from time to time. You know, yeah. how often do they have to re-examine their data? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there, I mean, there's, there's certain things that are going to go on. There's, there's data that you're going to be examining, which is going to be um, uh, the quality of the information that your salespeople are gathering. So let's just say that's on one side. Well, you're going to want to, you're going to want to evaluate that information as you're watching the performance of your salespeople. 
You want to be able to see as soon as their sale, as soon as their leading indicators or their pipeline is starting to show issue, you want to be able to go into their sales forms. You want to be able to look at their execution, the summaries, and you want to be able to identify the data that they're capturing and the problems with it and be able to start to coach them up. Um, the big problem that we see in, in mid-sized organizations is the gap between sales rep and sales manager. The sales manager's ability to effectively coach up their reps and get them past the performance gaps that they're experiencing is huge because the salesperson comes in and says, oh, Joel, this is what happened. You know, uh, I thought the deal was going to close, but so-and-so, so-and-so. And you're just strictly relying on the opinion of a sales rep who's going to, you know, give you that explanation in a way that makes them still have the security of their job in line. But what if we actually had data that we could look at and look at uh, to see what's the quality of, well, one, are they executing? Two, what's the quality of that execution? And then three, quantifiably, what are we getting our prospects to? So there's two major points of data that we're uh, able to capture. One is the priority and urgency scale. So if I come to you and I say, hey, Joel, you know, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Realistically speaking, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you guys can't solve this problem that you're dealing with here? Hitting revenue targets, whatever. Oh, Dave, it's going to be this, going to be that. Well, you'll ultimately get to, we're probably going to have to do a layoff. We're going to have to lay off 20% of our staff. We're going to have a problem hitting our uh, 2023 budget. Uh, investors are going to be barking down, blah, 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 right? Okay, great. After I, after I get that information from you, Joel, it's, it's so important for me to capture data. Okay, great. So based on that, Joel, on a scale of one to 10, how, would, how does your organization rate this as a priority? One being not urgent and not a priority at all, 10 being very urgent and has to be solved soon and is a high priority. Well, you're going to give me that number and it better be an eight, nine, or 10, or you're probably not going to take action. So if I'm inputting that into guided selling technology, after 100 sales calls, I can start to look at my sales reps and I can see who's better at getting to pain and establishing the priority or the, the, the problem that the prospect is dealing with as a high priority and something urgent that they need to solve versus another. And that data gives me a real quantifiable way to say, Joel, on average, you're at a 6.9 with your, with your prospects. Jamie is at an 8.2 on average. This is the gap. We have to we have to dial in your ability to drive a high level of urgency and priority with the problems that need to be solved in that organization. And usually it's because you want to have a feel-good sales conversation or it's you want to keep it strictly strategic is why you're not going there. But now we have a quantifiable piece of data to show why you're not doing a good job at getting your, your prospects to take action. How much of this is technology driven are, are these reports are these phone calls are they being examined by computers they being examined by people are, are your firm the, the the client firm who who's doing this and who's laying all this stuff out yeah so what happens basically is when we hop on a call we either if it's if you're in the field we have forms that you bring up on your phone uh, or you just bring it up on your on your desktop and that form is a way for you to execute the playbook and input the information. Once that information is input, the, the prospect experience, the prospect facing summary is then delivered to the prospect. And we can actually, um, uh, we actually count the number of times your company would view the summary screen that we sent over to you. So if I think you're going to close, but nobody in your organization is clicking on the summary after discovery that I sent over to you, that's quantifiable data that shows me you guys are not very interested. You're not as excited in this 
as we think you are. So between the sales rep inputs and then the prospect action that they're taking, our system bubbles up those reports specifically for managers. We want the, we want the company's managers to be able to leverage this data that is consistently coming through so that they can drive the performance of their salespeople. We, the, having the human element involved too much is going to create a breakdown. And we can't have those breakdowns because we need the information when we need it to ensure that we're hitting our weekly targets so that we ultimately hit our monthly quotas and our quarterly um, uh, our quarterly uh, revenue objectives. Well, I'll tell you what, um, you know, the, um, the promise of this show is to deliver the inside track, the best, smartest, fastest way to get something done. And, you know, and you have certainly delivered on the promise of the show, the inside track on, on what you call guided selling technology. I, I love that. I think that really makes just so much sense to me and the idea of really paying attention to what uh, what's going on in the field and, and monetizing it and, and turning it into actionable material. And when guests come on our show and they uh, live up to the promise of the show, uh, we call those people advantage players. And you certainly uh, are an advantage player and you've uh, made, made that happen for us. So thank you, uh, David, so much for sharing what it is you know and for uh, helping our our listeners through a, a very complicated process that has uh, that's moved a lot over the last uh, many years and will no doubt continue to move. We'll, David, we'll put your uh, contact information, other material in the show notes. And uh, thank you for being a friend of the show. And I, I hope we can continue to count on you. Absolutely. Thanks, Joel. Well, good. Listen, good to have you with us. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. How about a shout out and a huge thanks to our podcast show producer, David Wolf, and the team at Autovita Studios. Profit from the inside wouldn't be possible without these wonderful professionals. To learn more or to find out how you can launch and produce your own podcast show, reach out to www.audivita.com. That's A-U-D-I-V-I-T-A.com. Produced by Audivita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.